Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Brian, and along with Jeff, we are the hosts of this program. Hello, and welcome to the Bible Questions podcast program. Today, you've got your normal co-hosts, Jeff and Brian, with you. And today, we're going to do something that we do from time to time, and that is share with our listeners some of the recently submitted questions to our website. And as an aside, uh, there is a relatively easy uh, to access feature on our website at uh, biblequestions.org. If you're on a desktop computer or a tablet, it's on the main menu bar, uh, kind of right in the middle, ask a question. If you're on a mobile device uh, that typically has like three little horizontal lines in the upper left, if I remember correctly, you can click on that to get to ask a question. The form's a relatively easy one. All that you really need is to submit your question along with your email address. And within a couple of days, we'll try to get you a Bible-based answer to your question. The form also asks for your name, and, and you can supply that if you want to, but that's, that's pretty optional. And uh, Brian, we've been getting just lots and lots of questions, you know, over the 20 plus years the website has been in existence. And that, along with its global reach, has really been impressive to me. Do you have any uh, any thoughts? Yeah, I agree. And I think the good news for our listeners is that a lot of questions that are commonly asked, you know, they can find, as you mentioned, on the site, you know, you can go there and look at whether it's the popular questions or go to a specific section. And there's a good chance that the Bible question that you have has already been answered. And so, you can look at those answers, and it's just a wonderful archive. And so, yeah, Jeff, you being the administrator of the site have done a nice job of keeping it very organized and easy to find, I guess, which also includes a search index, right? So maybe they just have, you know, something that they found in the Bible, and they could use that search index, and it will take them to potential questions, right, that have been asked about that. True. And that particular search feature is on our uh, homepage. The other thing I just might mention is that in addition to relatively shorter answers to various questions, we do have longer articles that go into more depth on a particular subject, along with actual Bible class lessons that have been uh, taught over time. There's an online correspondence course that Brian administers that people can take, answer, uh, you know, read some material, answer some questions, submit them to us. Brian will look them over and provide feedback. So there's just, along with recorded sermons, there's just a lot of materials you know, on our website that we would certainly encourage our listeners to you know, take advantage of. And I know we're promoting the website, but really what we're trying to do is promote the Bible, you know, promote the scriptures, promote interest in and study of God's word, and hopefully, you know, through that, increased faith uh, and obedience. Hey, Brian, any, any other thoughts as we're getting started before I ask you the first question? Just one final thought, and that is, you know, as you mentioned, the website is really supports Bible study and, of course, is about Bible questions. And this that's what this podcast is about as well. I know our listeners know that. But so as a result, when we do these occasional podcasts where we answer questions, you know, we try to find questions that are either interesting or different or maybe that people haven't thought about. And so Anyhow, hopefully, you know, our listeners will find this beneficial. And as we go through these questions, you might say, wow, that's kind of a strange. Well, we try to pick, you know, questions that might be interesting when we do this. So anyhow. 
Exactly. All right. So the first one we've teed up for today comes from Ishmael, who asks, can I get a clear Christian understanding and view on the dichotomy between the almighty God, which he calls Allah, and Jesus Christ? Example, most times I hear people say, in Jesus' mighty name we pray, and he asks, why not in God's mighty name we pray? There you go, Brian. Yeah, fair question. You know, we certainly know that God is above all and through all and in all, and so he is certainly an almighty God. But the Bible really helps us to understand this one's relatively straightforward. But I will say before I answer that specific question, sometimes when people hear Allah, of course, they know that that's associated often with uh, Islam, with Islam and the Muslim beliefs. However, you know, Allah is just simply, you know, the Arabic name for God. And so, you know, when people say that, they're not trying to say this is a different God. Now, what Islamists believe about God, there's some beliefs there that are not supported by Scripture, but as it relates to the name itself, whether you're a Jew, Christian, Muslim, if you speak Arabic, you refer to God as Allah. So anyhow, just wanted to clear that up. Now, as far as the question goes, when we pray, of course, we pray to God. And we have several articles on our website where, you know, people have asked about praying to Jesus or praying to the Holy Spirit or praying to Mary. We only pray to God the Father, and we won't get into all that, but you could certainly find more information if you'd like to study that further. So when we pray to God, Jesus is our mediator. And so we pray through Jesus to God. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, we're told, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So the Bible makes it clear that when we go to God, we pray to him through Jesus. And then also Jesus himself tells us in John chapter 14 and verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we pray to God through our mediator, Jesus, and therefore many will end their prayers with saying something like, in Jesus' name, or, or something like that. So, Jeff, I'll let you add anything else you'd like to on that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, and this is more of a, a side comment, that given the global reach of the website, you know, we do attract questions from literally around the planet to include questions from people of major religious groups. I mean, you know, certainly Christianity. But as this particular person you know, writes in, uh, we do get a fair number of questions from those with a Islamic background, occasionally a Hindu background, and then of course you know a smattering of people that have you know little or no official religious background. And in a lot of cases, they may be somewhat ignorant of you know Christianity or maybe just lightly uh, acquainted with it, you know, based on perhaps something they see on TV or, or a neighbor or whatever. And there certainly can be some confusion. I mean, I know within Islam, uh, when they talk about Allah and they hear Christians talking about, you know, Jesus, God's son, I know there can be some confusion there because at least according to the Quran, uh, Allah is a singular entity. You know, they do not believe in what Christians might call the Trinity. And that may indeed, you know, create some uh, confusion. Now, not to belabor it, but uh, certainly Muslims believe that Jesus existed as a historical figure, a great prophet, you know, similar to Muhammad. But their conception uh, of him is is somewhat uh, different uh, than what the Bible says in terms of Jesus being, you know, deity, dying on the cross for our sins, etc. So, didn't want to belabor that. Brian, anything else before we uh, 
we go to the next one? Yeah, Jeff, you know, for those that might be interested in learning more about Islam and some of the beliefs there and how it conflicts with what the Bible teaches, we actually recorded a couple of podcasts, uh, Podcast 93 and 94, where we did a two-part series on Islam and some of their beliefs, their doctrines, and then compared it, of course, to what the Bible teaches. So if you're interested in that, uh, go back and listen to those podcasts. I think you'll find them helpful. Cool. All right, Jeff. So the next question for you comes from Fernandez. And he says, I was wondering if lighting incense or incense sticks just to perfume was against my religion. I don't believe in energies or that type of function that incense sticks or incense fulfill. But if I like fragrance and I want to know, oh, and I wanted to know if its use alone is wrong to perfume. Yeah, good question. And you know, appreciate uh, people's you know sensitivities. Uh, and willingness, honestly, to question the kinds of things they do. You know, certainly if they have a religious overtone or are somehow associated with religious practices or of questionable morals, etc. So definitely appreciate the, the question as well as the attitude. So I think very simply speaking, in terms of the scriptures, I, I really don't see anything in the scriptures that would prohibit you know, simply enjoying the smell of things. And I'll just say that in a, in a general sense. Whether we're talking incense or fresh flowers or, you know, dried flowers in the form of what's called potpourri, uh, air fresheners, perfume, cologne, you know, whatever. So nothing, nothing that I can tell that would be wrong with that. Nor do I necessarily see anything inherently wrong in the act of the, you know, burning uh, of the incense with one possible exception. And of course, something we always need to be sensitive to is our, I'll call it our cultural context, if that makes any sense. To be more precise, you know, if your family or neighbors or the culture you're in would associate that kind of activity, you know, the, the burning of incense, burning of incense sticks, et cetera, if they associate that act with some religious practices, then yeah, we definitely would have a problem there, particularly there if they're false religious practices. And so that's something that we would not want to do. We would want to avoid doing it to avoid us giving them the wrong impression, you know, giving them the impression that we, you know, approve of such, you know, false religious practices. Uh, in fact, Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 has something that's somewhat similar in nature, addresses a kind of a similar topic. Uh, he makes a, a, con a related argument, if you will, because within the first century, you know, they had false religions, you know, idol worship, etc. And in their context, people would sometimes, I'll say, offer meat uh, in sacrifice to the various idol gods. And sometimes that meat would then be taken by the officials or the priests, whatever, of the idol god, and then sold in the marketplace to raise money. Now, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 through 28, he addresses a problem that some people would have of, well, can I as a Christian go to the marketplace and buy this meat? Or... Can I, as a Christian, go to some person's home that has this meat that they purchased from the market, you know, that had previously been offered to idols? And Paul basically says, yeah, you, you can do that, but you need to be sensitive 
to your example and your influence on others. As verse 24, 1 Corinthians 10 says, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. You know, basically, you need to be careful what you do because if, you know, what you're doing is okay, but it gets connected with or associated with false worship, then yeah, it's something you need to stay away from. So I guess that'd be my answer, Brian, in somewhat of a short way. Do you have anything to add? I appreciate your point about being conscious of the image or the beliefs that you may be projecting, even if you don't believe them. I was thinking as you were going through this, you know, maybe you go visit a foreign country like Malaysia and, you know, Buddhism is popular there. And you go buy this little figurine of a Buddha because it kind of looks cool, right? And, you know, and you as a as a souvenir and you go put it in your house up on your shelf. Well, if I come walking into your house, I might think, wow, they're a Buddhist, you know? So yeah, we certainly want to be sensitive to that. So appreciate those points. Yep. Okay. 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 So here comes the next question. I guess it's your turn. Submitted by, and I'm probably going to butcher his name. So my apologies. Yeze or something like that. He asks, what is Jesus's religion? Yeah. So this one's also pretty straightforward. I mean, simply speaking, Jesus was a Jew who kept the law of Moses. And we know this as we read through, for instance, the New Testament. Sometimes people think because we read about Jesus in the New Testament that Jesus kept the new covenant. Well, no doubt he brought about the new covenant, but he lived under the old covenant or the old law, law of Moses. And we know that he adhered to that because, for instance, in Matthew chapter 26, we see that Jesus kept the Passover, which was part of the old law. So that's just one example that shows us that he definitely kept that law. He had respect for that law. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, in fact, that whole chapter in Matthew it really gives us the lineage of Jesus, and it shows us there that he was a descendant of Abraham, or Abram, as his name was changed to, Isaac and Jacob. And to be more specific, he was a descendant of King David of the tribe of Judah. He was born to Jewish parents under the law of Moses. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it actually says that, that Jesus was born under the law. So despite what some might teach or think, Jesus was not a Christian because that new covenant did not go into effect until he died on the cross. And in fact, when you look at that term Christian, it's a term that means belonging to or a follower of Christ. Just one other point I think is worth mentioning, and that is that Jesus himself mentioned in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 17, that he came to fulfill the old covenant. So once he died on the cross, he completely fulfilled that old covenant. And through his death, he established the new covenant that God promised that you can read about in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. And also Hebrews chapter 8 refers back to that covenant and also talks about, once again, Jesus's death on the cross brought about that new covenant. Well, and the only thought that I had that was perhaps in addition to what we were talking about. And it's a little bit on the side. You know, sometimes you hear of people that have a very negative view of Jewish people, somewhat racist, you know, hatred, you know, anti-Semitism, etc. But it makes me wonder if they've ever stopped to realize that Jesus was a Jew as well. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I just thought I'd throw that out there. All right, on to the next one, Brian. So this question comes from Keisha. When is God going to show me the way like he did to the Israels? And I assume there means Israelites. So to be fair, I'm not exactly certain what the person is asking about showing the way. 
I tend to assume that is some kind of, you know, miraculous direct manifestation like God appearing to Moses in the burning bush and then God appearing, not necessarily appearing, but working miraculous plagues like against the Egyptians. And then, of course, later on with the you know fiery, cloudy pillar manifestation of God in the wilderness and all different other kinds of you know direct interaction. And simply speaking, if you're waiting for God to do that to you, you're going to wait a long time because he's basically, he doesn't work that way today. In fact, and let me kind of go through a, a pretty quick series of scriptures that basically say the way God reveals himself and shows his will, his way to people today. So starting off, you know, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 indicates that yes, indeed, in the past, at least when Hebrews was written, God appeared or interacted or spoke with, primarily spoke with, prophets. Brian, you want to just go ahead and read uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2? Here it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Okay, so now we want to kind of establish, if you will, a chain of authority. So it starts with God the Father, goes to Jesus as his Son, Next verse would be John chapter 14, verses 26, that indicates Jesus today speaks to us or reveals God's will to us today through the Holy Spirit that was given to the apostles in the first century to guide them into all truth. Again, John 14, 26 says, but the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Of course, Jesus is addressing his close inner circle of disciples, the apostles. And so we might ask, okay, well, if that happened with them, you know, they, they lived and died, you know, 2,000 years ago. Coming forward to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, indicates that the apostles who were revealed all truth by the Holy Spirit sent from Jesus as instructed by the Father, those apostles speak to us today through what they wrote. Again, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing, of course this is Paul, through the guides of the Holy Spirit, which we're about to say, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe, meaning the apostles not only being instructed by the Holy Spirit, not only preaching what the Holy Spirit wanted them to preach, but also wrote down. And of course, we have those works today in what we would call the New Testament. And finally, Brian, if you want to go ahead and read uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 to sort of cap this off. Sure. So here it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right. And so again, what we have is like a chain of command or a chain of authority from the Father to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles, into the word, 
now resident in uh, the New Testament scriptures that are available for us to show us the way, so to speak, or show us God's will, show us what we want to do. And hence, that's why at the beginning of our podcast, we mentioned the need or the importance of being Bible focused, focused on the scriptures, you know, wanting to know more, studying the scriptures, you know, bringing our lives into compliance, uh, etc. So when is God going to show Keisha the way? Well, actually, he's doing that today through the Bible, through preaching, and through things like our podcast. Brian, anything else? Yeah, I mean, that's it. In fact, I'll throw one other passage out. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So as you stated, yeah, he shows us his way through his word. Very good. Okay, okay. All right, on to next question from Bariku. Writes in, I am a bipolar disorder patient, 50 plus years old. How can I get a scriptural word to support my healing? Is there a person whom you know healed from this demonic disease? First and foremost, you know, our heart goes out to anybody who's suffering from bipolar or other disorders like that. It can be very, very difficult. And no doubt we search for answers at time, like, you know, what can be done to help me be cured of this? And so, you know, if we look at this question, there's really kind of three essential aspects that, to this question that we want to sort of tease out, if you will. One is, first, we might want to ask, and many do ask, you know, are modern diseases the direct result of demonic possession? And when we look at the scriptures, the short answer is no. And so we do know from looking at the Bible that during that period of time, demons were permitted to take over a person. We see several examples of demon possession, for instance, that we read about. And when you study the scriptures, it really appears, you know, to be a matter that was really associated with Jesus and the early church in the first century and was limited at that time and really to that time. And so we do know from reading the scriptures that Jesus had the power to cast out demons, and so did his early followers. So we see, for instance, his disciples. He sent out 70 disciples. They were able to cast out demons. In fact, they were sort of astonished by that because they came back, and you'll see over in Luke 10, verse 17, they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And so what we see, though, is that first and foremost, that power was given to them through the Holy Spirit. And the reason they were given that power, along with all other spiritual gifts, was helped to confirm that the gospel, you know, the message that they were preaching was from God and not something that they themselves were making up. Now, what's important to realize with this also is that the Bible talks about that this was something that was special and unique for that time. It was really to confirm the word, once again, that they were speaking, and also that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And so we see that, and we also see the scriptures teach us that the miracles were limited in their duration. So a few passages to look at, if you want to make notes of them, one is in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, over in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and then also three passages in Acts chapter 2, verses 22, verses 33, and verses 36. So you'll see in those passages, it talks specifically about signs and wonders and miracles and how they confirm the word. And then, like I mentioned, also that to confirm Jesus was the Messiah. So I just have two picked out here to read to uh, help confirm that fact. Actually, Jeff, if I could get you to read the first one, Mark chapter 16, where we want to look at verses 17, 18, and 20. 
Okay, so starting with verse 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And then down verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. So this section of scripture shows us that the casting out of demons was associated with other spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues. In other words, when you read about people being able to speak in tongues or new tongues, as it says here, it just means that they were speaking in a language that they did not know. And so that would have required the Holy Spirit, for instance, to give them that ability. But the bigger point here, of course, is that it was associated with these spiritual gifts. And once again, they were using those gifts to confirm the word. The next passage over in Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 talks about Jesus. It says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. So if you think about living during that time, they saw that Jesus was healing people that were maimed and blind and so forth. And it once again confirmed that he was the promised Messiah. Final passage for this particular consideration is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 through 13. And in that section, we are taught that spiritual gifts would cease once the word was fully revealed and, you know, the the revelation from God was complete. So therefore, you know, we can conclude that demons and demon possession also ceased because it was no longer necessary to show by casting those demons out that these men were from God, if you will, or confirming from God the word in Jesus and so forth. Okay, so that was kind of aspect one. Don't want to associate diseases with demonic possession today. It just, the Bible doesn't support that and it actually teaches the opposite. Okay, second is the scriptures do offer encouragement to faithful Christians who may struggle with illness. And so, you know, it's really important that we have the right perspective of how short this life is and how it is certainly as compared to eternity. And so one passage that helps us think about this is over in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Here Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so when you think about having that correct perspective, as difficult as it is to deal with illnesses and things like that in this age, think about the eternal and just think about someday, if you're faithful, you'll be able to shed these bodies that we have and we'll be able to be transformed as the Bible teaches us in that day of judgment. And once again, if we're found faithful, that means eternal life in heaven where we won't have to worry about illnesses any longer. And then, you know, there's this benefit of peace through prayer. And we have such a wonderful passage, Jeff, if I get you to read over in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, that talks about, you know, ways that we can help reduce our anxiety, if you will. So Paul writing to the Philippians says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So God has given us this wonderful avenue of prayer, as we were talking about earlier, through Jesus, where we can pour out our hearts to him, make requests not only for ourselves, but for others. And it brings peace to us, knowing that God cares for us and allows us to pray to him. And then, you know, we should ask other Christians to pray for us as well. 
You know, James 5.16 tells us that we should pray for one another, that, that we may be healed, and that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So it really kind of emphasizes the power of prayer. And then one other section of scriptures that you could, if you'd like, make a note of, and that's just, there are many spiritual qualities that we should be continually adding. So for instance, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Well, Second Peter is similar, verses 2 through 11, where it talks about adding to our faith, knowledge, self-control, all of these spiritual qualities that help give us that spiritual foundation to better deal with illnesses. And then the third and final thought here, and then Jeff, I'll turn it over to you, is that, you know, practically speaking, Christians may seek competent medical help and, and really should take advantage of all the wonderful medicines and treatments of our time. Sometimes it's a natural herbal type treatments, but anyhow, there are many verses that speak of using medical treatments, such as, you know, applying bandages, Isaiah 1, 6, various oils. You know, today we have lots of essential oils that you can diffuse or put on your body that can really make a difference. James 5, 14, oil and wine, Luke 10, 34, wine, 1 Timothy 5, 23, and different kinds of salves. You know, particularly you read about the balm of Gilead, in Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 22. In fact, speaking of salves, Jeff, I remember when I was a kid, I cut my leg and uh, we lived out in the country. We were pretty far back then from a hospital, but I had a grandmother that had a salve that she put on it to help keep the wound clean and to heal. And it, and it worked <laughs> anyhow. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then finally here, you know, Luke, the author of Acts and the Gospel of Luke uh, is referred to by Paul as the beloved physician and you know, Colossians chapter 4, verse 14. So, you know, Paul didn't rebuke him for being a physician. Being a physician is an important role within our world, what was back then and is today, to help us be healed. So anyhow, just some different thoughts there. Jeff, I'll turn it over to you for any thoughts you have. Yeah, the only thing I might uh, add is in the past, in some previous podcasts, we addressed miracles, uh, modern miracles, as well as uh, demons, demonic possessions, Satan. So if our listeners are interested in digging more deeply into those subjects, uh, at least according to my notes here, episodes 67 and 68 deal with miracles. Episode 37 deals with the devil. The other thing I just might mention real quick, since I'm on the page here at our website, if under the uh, podcasts menu item certainly is a way of getting to the most recent podcast as well as kind of the most recent six or seven but underneath that particular podcast player is a topical index that organizes the podcast by various topics so i just thought i'd mention that as a little uh, side <laughs> little side advertisement so to speak yeah, that's such a great page, and you're right. Appreciate you bringing that up. It's just a quick way for, like you say, people to find previous podcasts on some of these subjects. Okay, so Jeff, the next question comes from Odur. He asks, can a dead relative talk to us in our dreams? So I'm going to do something that's a little amusing. And first of all, I'm going to say yes. Now, that may shock some of our listeners, but I don't know about you. But I've had dreams where I've, you know, had some conversation with my dead father and, you know, other people that were dead. But the question is, was that just a dream in my head or was I actually speaking with the spirit of my, you know, dead relative? 
Well, I would assume that the person is writing in, talking about actually, literally speaking with, interacting with the dead, you know, via our dreams. And the answer to that is, is no. You know, there's nothing in the Bible that would indicate that happens. Uh, in fact, the attempts to communicate with the dead, of which, you know, throughout the scriptures there are all different kinds of words used to describe that act and or the people that tried to f facilitate that act, all of those attempts, you know, categorically, expressly forbidden, you know, throughout the scriptures. Leviticus 19.31, Deuteronomy 18.11, Isaiah 8, 19 and 20. And in fact, in terms of the afterlife and existence in what the New Testament calls Hades, uh, as recorded in Luke 16 uh, verses 19 through 31, would indicate that generally speaking that, you know, the dead are not really permitted to, you know, visit with or be resurrected or, you know, interact with the living. So in terms of actually communicating with the dead, no. Now, in terms of, you know, fantasizing in your head or in your dreams about, you know, interacting with all different kinds of people, you know, living, dead, you know, presidents, famous people, whatever. Oh, yeah, that, that often goes on, but not in reality. There you go, Brian. How about that? I like that answer, yeah, especially because initially people are like, wait, what? <laughs> but you're right. We, <laughs> yeah, our dreams right. often can be, you know, so realistic, right, to your point where we think, hey, it actually happened, and, you know, anyhow. All right, I guess you have the next one for me. So Ramses writes in, why was the Bible written by 40 inspired men? Yeah, and this is a question where, kind of like you alluded to earlier, Jeff, sometimes we don't know necessarily what, what somebody's asking I mean, it could be either straightforward or maybe they're actually after something else. So when you think about why was the Bible written by 40 inspired men, they might be wondering why it took 40 men to write it. Couldn't it have been one inspired man or why were men writing it at all? Why didn't God just reveal it? Not really sure, but just a few facts. I mean, the Bible is a collection of writings by inspired men who lived over a period of approximately 1,500 years. And, you know, they often were just recording an account of what occurred while they lived. So you think about Moses and Luke giving a, an account of what occurred while they lived. Well, God allowed these many men, if you will, to record these truths because, in, once again, in some cases, he was simply using the time in which they lived to formally document or record what was occurring at the time that they lived. Now, Ramses is correct in saying that these men were inspired, and we know that from Second Peter, for instance, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, where it says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So whether it was the men that wrote the Bible or whether it was prophets that God spoke through, they were guided by the Holy Spirit. So the scriptures make that very clear. Now, in some of the writings, you know, as I kind of alluded to earlier, men were allowed to share personal details of their life. But the Holy Spirit is the one who confirmed what they wrote and ultimately allowed it to be included, if you will, in the Bible. The Bible also makes it clear that, you know, the Holy Spirit ensured that all teaching was from God and spoke through these men. So we see an example of this. Jeff, could I get you to read 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 1 through 3? Certainly. 
Now these are the last words of David. Thus says David, the son of Jesse. Thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, The Rock of Israel spoke to me, He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Okay, so this is just an example where here it's David speaking, but David himself makes it clear that the Spirit of the Lord, in verse 2, spoke by me, and his word was on his tongue. And so he was simply conveying what the Holy Spirit wanted to be conveyed. Now, the other thing that we know about the Holy Spirit is that even the Holy Spirit himself only conveyed truth from God. And we know this over in John chapter 16 and verse 13. It says, however, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will tell you things to come. The same is actually said about Jesus, for instance. So both Jesus and the Holy Spirit faithfully conveyed exactly what the Father wanted conveyed, and they did not speak on their own authority, and they did not introduce their own thoughts. And so I bring that up because I think it's important to realize that's consistent with what happened with these men who wrote the Bible. They weren't sharing their own doctrine, their own beliefs. They were conveying what was revealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was conveying what was revealed by God. So God was in control of all truth. And so the consistency of the spiritual principles you know, that are written in the 66 books really demonstrate that these men were inspired. I mean, Jeff, I've always kind of found it fascinating you know, that it simply wouldn't be possible to have the harmony of truth we see in the scriptures if 66 random men were simply writing their own opinions or, hey, here's what I think truth is you know, over a span of 1,500 years. I mean, we would see noticeable inconsistency and contradiction. So it just further speaks to the fact that it had to be a coordinated effort when you can only you can only really coordinate something over 1500 years if you have something like the holy spirit right god working through the holy spirit to reveal this truth and so i think the bigger point here is that therefore we can rely on what we read as being from god as revealed by the holy spirit like that. Yeah, if, if you weren't going to mention that, I, I was going to about, you know, one of the aspects of what I would call Christian evidences is the Bible, the diversity, uh, you know, the number of men, the time span, different countries, different languages, different occupations, etc. And as you indicated, you know, you would tend to think, particularly on controversial subjects, like, you know, the nature of God, the interaction of God with humanity, salvation, etc. You know, you get any random collection of, you know, people across time and professions and cultures together. You know, they're not going to agree on anything, you would think. That's right. And yet what we find in the scriptures is indeed a harmonious whole, as if the book was, or the, the Bible was written by one author, which it was, <laughs> or, or sourced from one author, which it was, uh, of course, that being God. Yeah, I was just thinking as you were talking about that, you know, when you think about harmony of the scriptures, we have some translations, for instance, that will omit parts of scripture because it's not found in certain manuscripts. So one that comes to mind is like Mark 16, what, 7 through 20. 
isn't in some translations. And so some people will say, well, therefore, you don't need to be baptized because Mark 16, 16 is in that section. But we know, you know, back to the harmony of the scriptures that you can go to Acts 2.38 and Acts 22.16 and many other passages that make it clear that baptism is required for salvation. So that also just speaks to the fact that you have this beautiful harmony throughout God's word that makes sure that we can understand what the truth is. So anyhow. Right. And the other thing I just might throw in there, since I mentioned it earlier, on our at our website on the uh, podcasts page, if you scroll down into the topical index under Bible Origins, you'll see podcasts 54 and 55 that dealt with the Bible and how we got the Bible. So that podcasts are available for our listeners if they want to dig deeper into that subject. Excellent. All right, we have one final question, Jeff, for you. Okay. This comes from Daniel. Why must I count my blessings? That's an interesting question. And I guess my mind kind of goes in two different directions. One is that should be in many ways a natural part of our love of God, gratitude to God, who richly blesses us, you know, according to his grace. Romans chapter 10, verse 12 talks about there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 says, My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. James chapter 1, verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So first of all, we recognize that God is the ultimate source of all good blessings. And so in our, you know, love for God, reverence for God, etc., you know, counting our blessings, be aware of our blessings, uh, the blessings we receive from him, you know, should be a natural thing. The other direction my mind went is to answer the question, why must I count my blessings? Because God commands it. <laughs> How's that for being blunt? Yeah, God through the Holy Spirit, through Paul, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, which we read earlier. You know, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. I'll emphasize that. Let your request be made known to God. So in many ways, it should be a natural outpouring of our love, but also is something God wants and candidly something that God expects. I'm thinking of like parents that do all kinds of things for their uh children in terms you know you know basics food clothing shelter but go above and beyond and give them you know birthday presents christmas gifts take them to various oh after school activities etc and the kids are you know kind of ungrateful well you know that's <laughs> not the way it should be with our physical parents likewise should not be the way it should be with our spiritual parent with god brian anything you want to add Yeah, I don't want to assign any motives to Daniel, but, you know, sometimes people, you know, it's easy for all of us really to forget all the good God has blessed us with when we may have a string of bad luck, for instance. And, you know, I've encountered or had conversations, I should say, with people who, you know, they just, they almost become angry at God because all these bad things are happening. You know, I thought God is good. And well, the Bible doesn't promise us that nothing bad's ever going to happen. In fact, it says quite the opposite that, for instance, if you're a Christian, you'll suffer persecutions. But I always like to sort of weigh anything bad that happens in our life with the blessings that we have from God. And I think if we do an examination of that, then blessings far outweigh 
you know, the good far outweighs the bad. And so therefore we should be thankful for that. So anyhow, my thoughts. Yeah. And I think that's fair because I think our, our natural tendency when bad things happen is, is we do tend to lock on to the negative. I mean, you know, something as simple as if I'm like working on the house or a woodworking project and, you know, I, I, I get a splinter, I hit my thumb with a hammer, whatever the case may be. All of my attention is suddenly focused on that one little spot, right? To the exclusion of everything else. And I think that's a, that's kind of a somewhat of a natural human reaction. But if you think in terms of God, his grace, God as creator, if you think in terms of his creation and, you know, the beauty of nature around us, the wonderful functioning of our bodies, our minds and our mental abilities to invent and create and earn a living, self-healing of the body, etc. And many, 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 many other, you know, blessings. We are just totally surrounded by, you know, God's grace, goodness. And that's just in a physical sense. Add to that, for those who are faithful Christians, all of the spiritual blessings uh, that are through him. So lots and lots, lots of blessings that hopefully we can, can look to and be grateful for. Absolutely. Well, that'll wrap this particular podcast. And Jeff, before I point our listeners to our website for some additional material, any uh, parting or closing thoughts about this podcast? Well, so, you know, since I've been uh, sort of hammering on the uh, podcast topical index, I'll give you one more. In the podcast area, I think it was episode, episode seven, one of our earliest ones, Rejoice and Count Your Blessing. That's available on the podcast page under the Blessings topic. So there you go, Brian. Yeah, that's a good one. In fact, I remember us recording that kind of in the throes of COVID, right? Where a lot of people were wondering, you know, like, whoa, what, what's uh, what's happening here? Well, we have several other topics if you'd like to continue your study on some of these questions that we answered and the principles that we talked about throughout this podcast. So once again, you go to our homepage, BibleQuestions.org. On that homepage itself, there's an alphabetical index. In fact, on every page, there's an alphabetical index as you go through these different questions. And so if you select the letter A, we have a section on authority, C for conscience, D for demons, E for encouragement, G for grace, M for miracles, O for occult, P for prayer, and then B for Bible origins. And so what you'll notice in each of these sections is there is a combination of previous questions about these particular topics that have been answered, and then in some cases, sermons and articles that are related to that, you can get there as well. So lots of material, but ultimately, as we always encourage you to do, regardless of what you hear or read, just compare it to what God's Word said and make application based on the principles that you learn from God's Word. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.